You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. On Preaching Source today, we are delighted to have Dr. Jim Shaddix with us. He's currently the professor of preaching at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, Uh, but he's also taught preaching at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, he is probably known to a lot of people as the pastor of Riverside Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado. So he comes to us this morning as someone who knows about the theory of preaching, but also about the practice of preaching as well. And uh, Dr. Shaddix, I've been delighted uh, as soon as we knew that we would have you here uh, because I use your textbook that you co-authored with Dr. Jerry Vines, Power in the Pulpit, a fabulous textbook. And so welcome to Preaching Source this morning. Thank you, Dr. McCarty. It is a joy to, to be with you and uh, be back uh, uh, at uh, Southwestern, where a lot of my roots are. This is uh, it, this is your home. Uh, Dr. Shaddix has uh, the MDiv and a DMIN from Southwestern Seminary and a PhD from New Orleans Seminary. So uh, he has good Southern Baptist credentials there. Well, Dr. Shaddix, uh, let's get right to it. Uh, you are in the process, or I, I think that you guys may have finished it, uh, or it's going to be released uh, sometime in the next year, a revision of your book, Power in the Pulpit. Would you talk to us about that and talk, give us an overview of the book and maybe talk about some of the things that you and Dr. Vines are revising in the new edition? Well, we are, Dr. McCarty, in the middle of that uh, project and so grateful to uh, Moody Press for um, uh, working with us on that. Uh, You know, The Power in the Pulpit uh, was originally published in 1999, but it actually goes back further than that. Dr. Vines had written two books uh, back in the 80s, uh, late 80s, uh, one on preparation and one on delivery. And so Power in the Pulpit, uh, it was, you know, a a combination, putting those two books together and updating them. And Dr., Dr. Dr. Vines was gracious enough to uh, let me add my stuff to it, you know, so that's kind of a, a description of what that was. But we realized some time ago that, uh, gosh, it's, it's you know, it's been a number of years now, you know, 15, 16, uh, 17 years that um, it's been out there. It's been used in Bible colleges and seminaries quite extensively. We've been grateful to God for that. Uh, but uh, it obviously needed to be brought, you know, up up to date. Now, that was brought home to me uh, in one of my classes uh, when I was using the textbook, and a student came up to me uh, after class one day and sarcastically said, uh, "Hey, can you tell me where to find one of those Palm Pilots?" And it hit me, you know, the the illustrations that uh, we had used uh, back in in '99, and you know, in putting that together, and so uh, that was just one of the things that prompted us to think, "Hey, we." You know, we need to do a revision. We need to do an update. Very excited about it. I don't know that the book's going to be any shorter uh, than it was, uh, you know, in 99, or it is in its current state. Uh, it is going to be two less chapters than it was, so we've consolidated some things or brought some things together, hopefully in an effort to simplify it. If I was going to identify, I think, the major um, uh, changes, um, one of the things I wasn't pleased with, and this was totally on me, it wasn't on Dr. Vines, is in 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 the first edition of Power in the Pulpit, we had a number of definitions in 
their definition of preaching, definition of expository preaching, definition of expository sermon series. And it, it was just a little convoluted, I thought. And so one of the things we wanted to do is go back and clarify, simplify. And so we've done that in the first chapter, just really identifying a simple definition of exposition uh, and uh, just kind of fleshing that out, unpacking it a little bit uh, to really establish a, a strong philosophy of expository preaching in that first chapter. Uh, and then in the second chapter, uh, we've d- done some things to really establish a, a theology of expository preaching. So this is what we wanted to do is come, you know, I- into the book in those first two chapters, really laying a strong foundation, uh, really helping students do and preachers do what uh, Stott was talking about, was saying that effective preaching wasn't about mastering certain techniques techniques, but, but, but about being mastered by certain convictions. And so we wanted to do that in chapter one with a philosophy and a definition of expository preaching, and then in chapter two uh, with just a clear theology of expository preaching. Um, the, the one other thing that I would mention I think that is a significant uh, revision is we felt like uh, that our, uh, our process of expository preaching, as far as the preparation of the sermons themselves uh, was maybe a little busy. Uh, And so uh, we've come back and simplified that. Interestingly, uh, actually going back uh, to uh, Dr. Vines' what was then a six-step simple process to and and made it a five-step process. So we've kind of reorganized some of that material, uh, you know, in the the second part of the book uh, to really uh, simplify and 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 lay out the sermon preparation process and and what we think will be a, a little more clear form. Well, I can tell you as a professor who uses the book with students that it, it is an excellent guide to uh, helping people learn or really sharpen their expository preaching. So I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, any improvements to the book. It's already a great textbook, and it'll be an even better one uh, when you fellows release uh, the the next revision. Uh, you've been teaching preaching and preaching for quite a while. Uh, I'd love to hear, uh, and our listeners would, uh, what are the trends that you are seeing among preachers today? And you, you have a lot of perspective on, on preaching and uh, how it's been shaped the last few decades, but what what are some of the trends you're seeing, either good trends or uh, are concerning trends? Well, uh, it's a great question. I'll, I'll throw out a couple. That, you know, we could talk all day about, uh, you know, the things that we're seeing. I know you th- I'd love to hear your observations on that as well. I, I, so I'll, I'll just put one positive and maybe one negative uh, trend uh, on the table. And the positive side, I think just generally, um, I, I, I just see guys gravitating toward biblical exposition as their bread and butter. And that hasn't always been that way. I mean, when I started uh, teaching preaching at New Orleans Seminary back in the, you know, the mid-90s, that wasn't an assumption. In fact, that's how I found Dr. Vines's book. Uh, uh, most of the homiletics textbooks, you know, even during that time, uh, were books that were written uh, by guys who uh, were not pastors 
and uh, we're in denominations that you know, where preachers preach 15 minutes a week, one time a week. And that was a totally different tradition, I know, than than most of us, you know, came from. So I wanted to find uh, a, a textbooks to use that, number one, were written from a pastoral perspective of what it meant to preach week by week in the local church, and number two, uh, were written from an expositional perspective. And that's how I found, found Dr. Vines's book. That's why I, and I started using those in the classroom. It wasn't an assumption in all of our seminaries. It certainly was an assumption in all the literature out there. Uh, and I realize it is, it is not today, but there is more of a, uh, you know, a, a foundational uh, conversation about exposition. Uh, it, it is the bread and butter, I think, is taught in all of our seminaries uh, and the foundational approach to preaching. And so I see among a younger generation them growing up embracing that and, uh, uh, and following that and practicing it. And so I'm very, very excited about that. Um, negative trends, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned, I think, uh, today about um, uh, the fewer number of, of young men who are responding to God's call to ministry and to preaching, but not to the pastorate. Um, you know, when I when I came to Southwestern Seminary in the you know in the early '80s, I knew God had called me to preach, and the the, the guys that seemed to get to do that the most were pastors. And so I just figured I was going to be a pastor, and and I was a pastor, and still am a pastor at heart. Uh, I think the pastorate is the front line. Uh, it is the primary preaching point and uh, platform of ministry. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're just praying for God to, to raise up generations of pastors. Uh, and, and, and that, you know, uh, to some degree for the sake of the preaching ministry and that important part uh, of uh, the advancement of the gospel. So. One of the things, one of the many things that I appreciate uh, about power in the pulpit is that you, in the book, you talk about how a preacher must not only spend time preparing the message, but almost, uh, but must prepare himself. And what, uh, what does a preacher do to prepare himself? Well, you know, we, we, we know some, you know, just basic things. We know Isaiah, God and, I, and through Isaiah talked about uh, uh, the vessels of the Lord being clean uh, for him to be able to use. I don't think we can ever presume upon the grace of God in our lives for the preaching event um, by letting there be a disconnect uh, between the way we live offline and the way we live online in our preaching. So I think, you know, just very simply, uh, purity and holiness, you know, in our, our communion with, uh, you know, with our Lord is just absolutely, uh, you know, huge. Uh, I, I think uh, another way that we prepare ourselves for the preaching ministry is to understand the relationship between prayer and preaching. This is something that I'm very burdened about. I wish I could sit here and say it's something I've mastered in my own life. I have, and it continues to be a, an uphill battle because I think it's spiritual warfare, so it doesn't go away the older you get. But there is an undeniable relationship, I think, in the New Testament between the ministries of prayer and the ministries of, and the ministry of the Word. And I, you know, personally, I think both of those come together to define the preaching event. Uh, I think in Acts chapter 
chapter 6, when the apostles were saying, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I think they were defining their their preaching ministry. It was just an assumption in the book of Acts, almost on every page, that prayer was the lifeline and the conduit, the trigger, if you will, of engaging the Holy Spirit in the preaching event. And so uh, that's something that has to be a part of our personal lives. It has to be a part of our Christian life. It has to be a part of our preaching preparation. Uh, It's incredibly important for us um, preaching in such a way that our preaching is a demonstration of the Spirit of God and, you know, and His power. So just nurturing the prayer life is another thing that, uh, um, that, that, that I would say. So. Uh, that uh, that leads to a related question. In Power in the Pulpit, you uh, talk about four spiritual foundations for the task of exposition. Can can you talk to us a bit about those four uh, foundations? Well, we talk uh, in Power in the Pulpit about uh, you know number one, the preacher uh, you know has to be called of God to the task of preaching, and this goes back to what I was referring to a little bit later, uh, a little bit earlier, somewhat uh, uh, in just the, the the fewer number of guys that seem seem like they sense a call to of, of God to the pastorate. I think uh, you know in some respects that uh, you know that that reflects on their. Call call to preach. Um, there's a, you know, there, if there's a, a, a looseness or, you know, a doubt or a question mark, you know, in a guy's mind about whether he's been called to preach, then, you know, then it just becomes something along the way that he experiments with and, you know, sees if he's good at and that type of thing. Um, I think the call to preach is something that, you know, I, Paul talked about it in his, you know, first letter to Timothy is an inward impulse, you know, that God places uh, on an individual individual's life. I love the descriptions in Jeremiah of, uh, uh, of the word burning in the preacher's bones and in his mouth. And in other words, it's something that's got to get out. This is not an option. Uh, this is something you, you have to do. Uh, you hear from God because God has spoken and he's, he's given us a record of his voice in his word. And so we meet him, we commune with him, we, we hear his voice and he has spoken. He's speaking to his people. We have to go say this. So the call to to call to preach is not limited to whether or not you have a title or an office or you're getting a salary for it. You know, if you if the call of God is on your life to preach, you're going to find a place to preach. Uh, and so I think that's incredibly important for us to you know to understand with regard to how it in, informs our preaching. Uh, the the second thing we mention is uh, you know is having to have an unapologetic commitment to the nature and role of the Word of God. Um, God has spoken. You know, our, our, our view of inspiration and authority in the Word of God, I think, are huge uh, for the preaching event. We won't prepare and we won't preach with the same weightiness, the same gravity, uh, if we have a lesser view uh, of Scripture. Uh, and so our commitment to the Word of God is going to directly inform how we preach, the passion with which we preach, the intensity with which we preach, the seriousness 
business and all of those things and more. Um, the third thing, you know, we mentioned is that, uh, you know, the preacher has to be given passionately to the worship of God. Uh, I think preaching belongs to the church. It's a community event, uh, and it is it is an aspect of worship. It's not something that happens after worship takes place, you know, making worship synonymous with music. Um, it, it is foundational for worship because it's in the preaching event where God's Word is explained, and therefore His voice is heard, and we respond to that, you know, with other expressions of worship. So uh, I think preachers have to be given to that reality, both personally, their personal worship, uh, as well as corporately in understanding uh, the role of God's Word and its proclamation in worship. And then finally, uh, you know, the preacher uh, has to be diligent in his unending quest for the anointing of God on his life and ministry. Um, This is, uh, you know, this is something that um, uh, I think is minimized today. Sometimes it's, I think it's minimized because um, we know when we look at the New Testament, the word anointing is, uh, is, is, is usually a reference to something all believers have, not just the preaching event. But that overlooks the relationship uh, between the idea of the anointing and the idea of the filling of the Spirit in the New Testament, especially in the Luke-Acts narrative. uh, Eight times in the Luke-Acts narrative, Luke associates um, the filling of the Spirit with the moment of preaching in which the Holy Spirit attends, uh, you know, the, 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 the ministry of His Word with His power. Uh, and those references are different from the character of the fullness of the Spirit, like in Acts 6-4, where St- Stephen is mentioned as a man full of the Spirit and wisdom. It's a different grammatical structure. And F.F. F. Bruce even talks about how uh, the, the former, those, those eight times Luke is talking, he's talking about this special attendance to the, the moment of proclamation, the event of proclamation. And so... That being said, that's something we can't presume upon. That's something we can't take lightly. It's something we can't just assume is going to happen. Uh, but preachers have to be in hot pursuit of of that attendance of the Holy Spirit if anything otherworldly is going to take place. Wow. Dr. Shaddix, uh, uh, many of our listeners at Preaching Source are uh, working pastors who are out there right now as uh, they've been listening to this podcast. They're probably in the process of preparing a message for this coming Sunday. And that's a wonderful word to leave them on, uh, to seek that anointing, not presume it, but to seek it. Dr. Shaddix, thank you so much for being with us on Preaching Source today. It's, it's been a joy, and we are eagerly looking forward to the release of the revised edition of Power in the Pulpit. It's been an honor, Dr. McCarty. Thank you very much. God bless you.